that would hold you down. He can uh, break free and set you free today. Well, all of us come uh, from different situations this morning. We brought different, uh, different baggage with us into this place. But one thing that all of us have in common is we're all, if you're here, you're obviously still living, uh, you're living life. And when we think about life, different people have come up with different ways to describe the different stages of life. If you live long enough, there's a number of stages that you will go through. And I read uh, The Seven Stages of Man by Richard J. Needham this last week. Seven Stages of Man uh, and Women by Richard J. Needham. And he came up with seven stages. And I want you to look at these with me. This really fits uh, my mind. And as a redneck from Alabama, this will probably fit your mind as well. The seven stages of life. First, you go through the spills stage where you just spill everything. Then you go through the drills stage where you go to school and they drill lots of stuff into your brain. And then after the spills and drills... You finally hit your 20s and you can start living some thrills, but unfortunately that's when the bills show up. And about the time you have enough money in your life to pay those bills off and maybe have some thrills again, instead you get the ills. And when you get the ills, you start taking the pills. And then when you reach the end of your life, you're worried about your will. So the spills, drills, thrills, bills, ills, pills, wills are the seven stages of the modern man, seven stages of the modern man. Now that's a good way to think about life, uh, the physical life at least that we go through. But did you know that there are also stages in your life of faith? There are stages that the Bible actually shows us repeatedly in different ways, stages that you go through in your life of faith. Now the stages that you go through in your life of faith it begins when you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. When you recognize your need of Jesus and you trust in Him and you rely on Him, you begin this life of faith. But in that life, you will at different times find yourself in different stages. Now the thing about the stages of faith are you could be in one stage and move to another, but if God does certain things, you could find yourself back in a previous stage. So it's not quite chronological like the seven stages of man. The stages of faith, you can move, some of them, you can move into one stage and then in your journey find yourself back in a previous stage that you've been in before. This morning I'd like for you to turn me to 2 Kings chapter 8. 2 Kings chapter 8. And we're going to look together at three stages of faith. Through a story, an event that occurs in the Bible, we're going to, in this one story, see three different stages that all of us will go through on this journey of faith. Three stages in the journey of faith. Now, if you've been with us on Sunday mornings, you know that we've been preaching through the life of Elisha. We've been looking at Elisha and studying his life. And a few weeks ago... We met this woman called the Shumanite woman. And the Shumanite woman had a child that got sick and that died. And the Lord used Elisha to perform the most amazing miracle. Her son uh, returned. Her son returned. And where there was death, there came life. And it was an amazing miracle. 
And after we read this story of this uh, woman who'd lost her child, which, by the way, some of you can relate to that today. You can relate to the pain that that woman went through. For we read that story, preached through that story a few weeks ago of this child that came back. We then found that there was big trouble in the land of Israel. And we found that the Syrians kept attacking Israel. And if it hadn't have been for Elisha, the king of Israel would have died a long time ago. So we have seen this Shumanite woman and we have seen the king of Israel and we have seen how his throne was protected by Elisha. But then last week, oh my goodness, after this king who wouldn't even be around if Elisha had not helped preserve his throne uh, through the power of God, we saw last week that a famine broke out in the land because of wickedness that had been going on. And the king that Elisha had saved his throne, he turns on Elisha. And he gets angry at Elisha because Elisha is the spokesperson who is pronounced because of this sin, a famine will hit the land. And we saw last week that this famine was horrible. It was a horrible, horrible famine. But we saw how God miraculously worked uh, in that situation. After that story of the famine... And by the way, in the midst of that famine, the Syrians decided they would try again, we saw, to take over the land because it was weak from the famine. We saw how God miraculously saved the people again. And this is where we pick up. The king of Israel, has his kingdom has been saved at least twice by God through the prophet Elisha. And we've also before that read about the Shumanite woman. Well, we're going to go back now and we're going to see what the Shumanite woman was up to while the famine was going So look at chapter 8, verse 1. Then spoke Elisha unto the woman. So this happened before the events of last week. You're going to see this. This story happened before the events of last week, before the famine uh, took place and, and all of that. Elisha went to the woman, the woman whose son he had restored to life. So he went to this humanite woman and he said, Arise and go, you go in your household and sojourn or live wherever you can sojourn. He says, you just need to get up and go. You need to get up and move. You need to get up and leave. Why? For the Lord had called for a famine, and it shall also come upon the land seven years. And so what did the woman do? Was she like the king of Israel, uh, who who was disobedient to God's word? No, this woman is different. Look at verse 2. The woman arose... And she did after the saying of the man of God. So the Lord revealed to him that famine was going to come. And so the prophet gave a word from God, and this woman believed the word of God, and she left. Where did she go? Now imagine this. She has, she has to leave everything. Her son, I mean, she's on the mountaintop, right? She's in the valley. Her, her, her child dies. It doesn't get any lower than that. And then lo and behold, a miracle is performed in her child. She gets her child back. And you can imagine how happy and how excited she is and how great uh, her life of faith is going. But right as things are going good, the prophet comes back and he says, Hey, uh, you've got to leave your home. You've got to leave your friends. You've got to leave the nation that you have lived in. You need to get out of here and you need to leave fast. Have you ever had things going really good in your walk with the Lord? And then, bam, something hits you. Something blindsides you. Some event occurs, and if you're not careful, you find yourself saying, God, did you just bring me up to tear me back down? Why is this happening? If you've ever had that happen, you can relate to this woman. But she believed God. 
Unlike the king of Israel who tried to kill the man of God last week, she believes and obeys. Look where she went. She, she, she left, and it says the end of verse 2, she sojourned or she lived in the land of the Philistines seven years. It came to pass at the seven years' end that the woman returned out of the land of the Philistines and she went forth to cry unto the king for her house and her land. Her house and land have been taken by other people while she's been gone. And so she comes back, she returns to try to get her property, her land, back. She comes back after seven years. It came to pass at the seven years' end that the woman returned out of the land of the Philistines and she went forth to cry unto the king for her house and for her land. Oh, and now we get a return of another character we haven't seen for several weeks. Look at verse 4. And the king talked with Gehazi. Remember him? Gehazi is the servant who saw all the miracles and had seen everything that God had done. And Gehazi was Elisha's servant and he'd seen all the miracles, but when Naaman came and Naaman... Uh, was miraculously healed of his illness. Naaman tried to give Elisha all this money, and Elisha said, I don't want your money. God has done this, and he's just performed this, and take your money and go back to your homeland. Well, Gehazi, remember what he did? He chased after, and he wanted the money, and he made a lie up because he wanted that cash. And he was struck with leprosy. And he has to depart from being in the presence of the prophet. Well, now he's back. So here we have this king that we know is a wicked guy, because we've seen what he did last week. And we see Gehazi, who we know has been very disobedient to God. We see these two guys together. Now I wonder if after last week what we read, the king and his confrontations with Elisha, I wonder if the king put the word out, who can, who can give me insight into the life of Elisha? Who can let me know how this guy really, really thinks? Who can really, really let me know? Now I don't know exactly how they got together, but I could see that scenario easily happening where Gehazi... It's hooked up with the king. However it happens, these two guys that are not good are together. Well, look what happens. The king talked with Gehazi, the servant of the man of God, and said, Tell me, I pray you, all the great things that Elisha has done. And it came to pass, as he was telling the king how he had restored a dead body to life, that behold, the woman whose son he had restored to life cried to the king for her house and for her land. This woman shows up at court... At the very moment that Gehazi is telling what happened, she's right there in the presence of this king. Gehazi said, My lord, O king, this is the woman, and this is her son whom Elisha restored to life. And when the king asked the woman, she told him. She told him what had happened. And so the king appointed unto her a certain officer and, and said, Restore all that was hers and all the fruits of the field since the day that she left the land even until now. We live our lives moment by moment, day by day, hour by hour. And if we are not careful, we'll get caught up in the tyranny of the moment, the tyranny of the now, and we lose perspective on what God is trying to do through our life, through the lives of our family, through the lives of His church. We'll lose perspective of what God is doing around the world as He spreads His kingdom. You know what God has done to help us deal with the tyranny of the now? The fact that we get very self-centered and we lose focus and we get consumed uh, with just uh, trivial things sometimes. What God has done is He has spoken His Word. 
And one of the things that the Word of God does is it gives us a perspective. God has graciously allowed us to see what He is actually up to. And so when we get caught in the tyranny of the now and the devil wants to blind us to our own selfishness, our own problems, our own issues, the Word of God, God speaks a word. He gives us the Scriptures and allows us to step back and see the bigger perspective on this world. We're given a lens. This morning, God's Word gives us the lens of the Shumanite woman. This woman who believed God. Last week, we were blessed as the small children came and sang. And I don't know all the people that have been involved in that, but I know Miss Julie Townsley, and I know Miss Carrie, and I know that my mom has helped with that, and so have some other ladies. So if I have left somebody out, I want to apologize. But I know, I know at least those three ladies. You know, in our story, the king last week, he doesn't do very good. And Gehazi's servant, he doesn't do very good either. But we see this Shumanite woman who's very faithful to the things of God. If you are glad for faithful women, say amen. And thank you to the women in our church that are being faithful to God's Word. Sometimes when men don't step up, even our own church, there are ladies that have stepped up and done big things for God. I want to tell you, thank you. This Shumanite woman, we are given a perspective on life through her. And we see three stages that this woman goes through. And I think God, one of the reasons He gives us this story, this woman who goes from way down to way up and back down and back up again, we get this to help us not get caught up in the tyranny of the now, but to see the big perspective of what God does through the stages of faith. Let me share these three stages with you. I'm not saying these are the only stages of faith you'll go through, but these are three from our text. Number one, first stage of faith. You might want to write these down in the back of your bulletin. First stage of faith that you will go through at some time in your life. First stage of faith that we see here is the times of withdrawal. The times of withdrawal. Now, look at verse 1 and verse 2 again. What happens? Elisha spoke to the woman whose son he'd restored to life, and he said, Arise and go, you and your household... And sojourn, just find wherever you can go. Wherever you can make it, you need to go and sojourn, for the Lord has called for a famine. And it shall come upon the land seven years. So these are lean years. And these are, these are bad years. And God knows they're coming. And so He says, you need to withdraw. You need to remove yourself. And you need to go into, into a new situation. It's not going to be comfortable. You're going to be with the Philistines. But God knows that's better than you being in Israel, with what's about to occur. So verse 2, the woman arose, and she did after the saying of the man of God. And she went with her household and sojourned in the land of the Philistines seven years. There are times when God will lead you to strategically wait. There are times in your life where things will be arranged in such a way that when what God will demand of you is God will demand, will you trust me while you have to wait. Will you trust me while you have to wait? Will you believe God while you must wait? This woman is not running from God. So we're not talking about disobedience. We're not talking about uh, living a life of sin here. What we are saying is her life, God tells her because he has the big picture, he tells her to move in such a way that she has to wait. During Jesus' active three-year ministry, the Holy Spirit over and over again led Jesus out to the wilderness. 
or up to some mountain for days, sometimes for over a month. There were 40 days that he spent in the wilderness. Sometimes Jesus would work some big miracle or some amazing teaching that he would pass on to people, and then he would have to withdraw to a secluded place. For this woman, it is seven years. Seven years she has to leave everything that she knows and she loves, and it's right after this huge uh, obstacle in her life occurs, right after the greatest miracle that she will probably ever personally experience, God reviving her son. This stage is so important. Because some of you have had amazing things happen in your life of faith, and then bam, the unexpected happens. And things that you wonder, why is this happening? I thought that I was on the mountaintop. You know what, God, when you get caught up in that, God gives you a story like this to show you there are times... There are times when God in His sovereignty, in His plan, He knows what's going on and He knows that it is better for you to be in a season of waiting than it is for you to be doing the things that you would prefer. What do we do when that happens? Well, listen to Psalm 37, 7. It says, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Fret not yourself because of Him who prospers in His way. The Bible says, you rest and don't worry about the wicked who are prospering. Because of the man who brings wicked plans to pass. God says instead of fretting over the one who is doing evil. Now some of you need to really hear this. Because there's a lot of evil. And I know some of you are doing a lot of fretting. This doesn't say ignore evil. This doesn't say don't combat evil. This doesn't say take evil lightly. But it does say this. The Bible just said in Psalm 37, 7. Do not fret yourself because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked plans to pass. What are you supposed to do? Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. If you believe God is faithful to his word, say amen. Then God just said, don't fret. Don't fret about the wicked. I'll bring it out. I'll bring it out. You just wait on me. Instead, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Instead of worrying, live by Psalm 27, 14. Look at that one with me. Look at Psalm 27, 14 uh, up, on the, up on the screen. God's Word says this, Wait on the Lord and be of good courage, and He will strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and He will strengthen your heart. My friends, there are stages of faith. And some of you are in a situation today where you're going to have to wait on the Lord. And you're going to have to allow God to strengthen you in some unusual ways. And today, some of, some of you, God wants you to hear His Word, which said, don't fret, wait on me. So stages of faith. Some of you are in the time of waiting. But there's a second stage, right? Because we get this big picture of what happens to her over the course of these seven years. And so there's a second stage. There is a time of waiting, and it's very long for her. But then all of a sudden, the time of waiting comes to an end, and we get the second stage, the time of asking and activity. Sometimes there's a time of waiting in the life of faith. Other times there's a time, a season of asking and activity. Look at verse 3 in our text. What what does she do, verse 3? It came to pass at the seven years in that the woman returned out of the land of the Philistines. And what does she do then? Is she quiet then? Is she withdrawn then? No. What does she do? She went forth to cry unto the king for her house 
and for her land. After seven years, the time was right to get loud. The time for mama to get vocal had come. The time to get going had occurred. And this woman, it's not that she had been running from God. That's not what had gone on in that seven years. It's just that now was the time to start visibly and vocally making her presence felt. Now was the time of activity, of asking God. Today, some of you need to get moving. Some of you today, you've been in the season of waiting, and now is the time to get moving in your life. Maybe in school, there's somebody that you need to share uh, the faith of Jesus with. You have, you've been a good student. And you've done your work well. And you've been obedient to what you needed to do. And God now wants to use that for you to share your faith with somebody else. Maybe now is the time for you to be bold for God on your job. Maybe you have earned the right. You've earned the right to pronounce the name of Christ. And to stand for Christ and to make known His love. I say that when you enter a job, the best advice I can give you is this. Best advice I can give you is get on that job and be the best employee they've ever had. And wait until you're the best employee they've ever had. And then when you start telling them about Jesus, they will listen. But if you're a sorry employee, they're not going to listen. They're not going to believe. They're not going to pay attention. Some of you have been good employees and now is the time to speak up. Now is the time to be bold. Now is the time as we see the wickedness of this world and we see the things going on. Now is the time for you to say, listen, this is what God's Word says and I know this is the way of life. This world is a way of death. This is a way of life. Maybe at work you need to trust God. Maybe it's not just spiritual things. Maybe at work you need to step out and you need to try that new position. You need to go for that new job. You need to ask for that promotion. Maybe you've been waiting and now God has opened some doors for you. Maybe the time has come for you to get that surgery that you're afraid of. I don't know what it is today, but there's times of waiting and then there are times that God opens the door and it's time to move and it's time to act. It's not time to wait anymore. It's time to be vocal and it's time to be active. Seniors, look at me, seniors. Maybe for you, it's time to get out of the house and start trying to live life again. Maybe God wants you seniors to pour your life into some after-school reading program. Or to find somebody in the church, go to Brother Mark and somebody in the church that you can really encourage and help some student. Maybe you've been sitting around and just watching TV all the time. And I know some of you have health problems and you can only do so much, but let me tell you something, seniors. If God has given you the ability, you better use what time you have left to glorify Him and to use your talents for God. Amen, church? And maybe now is the time for you. There are seasons of life. And this woman goes through a season of withdrawal, but then it becomes time to speak up. This woman had had her home taken. She had left and now she needed to speak up for justice. And it's not wrong to speak up. And she goes and seeks justice from the proper authorities. She goes where she needs to go. And there are times when it is wise and right to do that. And the season for her, it was the right time and the wise time for her to, to speak up. This Shumanite woman is such a wonderful example for us because life is hard for her. And maybe it's been hard for you. And in the midst of her difficulty, this woman 
has believed God right after the greatest miracle. She faces a great struggle. She has to leave her home, but she believes God. She could have got bitter. She could have said, no, I'm not leaving. God's performed this great miracle, and I am not about to go to the Philistines. I'm not about to go down there. Instead, she believed that God knew what he was up to. For some of you, it's hard to trust God during the waiting times. For others of you, it's hard to trust God when it's time to speak up. For some of you, it's just hard to trust God, period. There comes a time when it's time to speak. When my boys play ball, uh, Ethan has now gotten old enough that they keep the score on the scoreboard. They just started that. He's eight years old, so now they put it on the scoreboard. All these years, from four to seven, there has been no score on the scoreboard. Soccer or basketball. But you know what every kid and every parent is over there doing during the game? They are keeping score. Now, this is my pot shot at political correctness. The political correct crowd can say all they want to say, but can I tell you something? Human nature is human nature. Amen? And so these kids are keeping score. And my boys, they've been on some pretty good teams. And after every game that they are pretty sure they won, the first thing they and their teammates do is run over to me and say, how much we win by? How much we win by? How much we win by? And I'm trying to say, guys, get in line and go shake the other team's hand. Get in line. How much we win by? How much we win by? And most of the time I'll lean down and be like, well, we won 28 to 12. 28 to 12, we kicked your tail! Kid you not, human nature is human nature. If you don't shut up, you're going to get your tail busted when we get home. And they have once or twice uh, for that. They want to to yell out. They've won. They have won a victory. And they want people to know, church, Jesus has won a victory for you. And it is time to lift your voice. And it is time to speak up. And it is time to actively proclaim. And it's time to support folks like the rights who are in the business of proclaiming the name of Jesus. There are stages of faith. There are times of withdrawal. But then there are times that it's time to get active and ask and speak up. Three stages of faith. Times of waiting we see in this woman's life. Times of asking and activity. And then finally there is the time of restoration. The time of restoration. Now when you get sad, when you get sad, what does it take to bring a smile to your face? And when you and something really negative and bad happens in life, what does it take for you not to be excited about life again? So we had this crisis in my house this weekend, a major life crisis. The schools got canceled Thursday and Friday in Putnam County. And they, they, they sent the phone message out, and the phone message said, no one will be allowed at the school or in the gym for any reason unless they got permission from the top. They didn't want anybody there. Not teachers, nobody. Because they said, we've got to try to get this sickness under control. Well, I, my, my wife's in the kitchen and she's listening to the message and I heard the message. In my mind, I, mean, I thought, oh man, well, if nobody can go to the school, that means the basketball games for the county league are probably going to be off this week. And sure enough, we got the message that the games were canceled. Saturday, we get up. And Ethan and Owen come in, and every Saturday they know it's time to play ball. I mean, it's time to go play soccer or basketball, whatever season it is, it's time to go. And Owen gets up, and he's sitting on the couch. Little guy's sitting on the couch. 
And he's ready to go. And I said, Owen, remember that they uh, canceled school and nobody can be in the gyms, so there's no basketball game today. I'm, I'm sorry, buddy. And remember what I told you last night? I told you last night that since there's no basketball games, your Nana had some tickets to the Sound of Music at TPAC in Nashville, and you have to go to the play. I mean, the poor guy, basketball or going here to a bunch of girls singing a play? Have you lost your mind? He was crushed, crushed. You know what brought him back? 30 minutes later, look what my wife had in the frying pan. This made him smile. 30 minutes later, I kid you not, we're down to eat. And the minute that crispy bacon goes in his mouth, the boy is restored. He is revived. I don't know if this is just a man thing or a lady thing as well, because it was hilarious when Brother Rick, when we were putting the slides up, the first thing when he got to that, he goes, oh, bacon. <laughs> Brother Tanner, playing the mandolin today. Brother Tanner, they got to doing the music, and that slide happened to be up there as we were going through them this morning. And Brother Tanner, he doesn't say, hey, pastor, how you doing? He doesn't say, hey, I can't wait to worship today. Tanner looks up there and he goes, first thing he says, doesn't say, hey, hey, pastor. He looks up and goes, ooh, bacon. I don't know what it is about bacon. But bacon made Owen happy. Made him happy. But sometimes in life, really, really, really bad things happen. And bacon's not going to make you feel any better. And a word from your parents don't make you feel any better. And maybe even a hug from a spouse that you love, that doesn't even make it better. Do you know why there are some things in your life that no one can make any better? It's because there are some things in your life that only the God who made you, He's the only one who can make it better. And so if you have ever gone through that season of life where you have felt very, very empty, and you have felt very, very alone, and you have felt very, very unsure of what is this life even about. That is an emptiness from the Creator who made you. And He is the only one who can fill it. Sin takes the best of you. And sin rips us apart. And sin takes our vitality and it takes our trust and it takes our hope. And it replaces it with bitterness and it replaces it with emptiness and it replaces us with anger. But God has a work of restoration there's a work of restoration. This Shumanite woman had had her son restored. And then she lost her land. She lost all of that. But we see from our text that God is in the restoration business. And she comes and she cries out for restoration. And what is so amazing in this text is how God does it. How does God restore her? God is about restoration. Now listen to this, alright? Before, before we dig into that a little bit about how God pulled that off. God is so into restoration... And God is so into restoring you that Acts 3, 19 and 20 proclaims that you are to repent and be converted. Converted to who? Converted to Jesus. Repent and be converted. That your sins may be blotted out. That the times of refreshing or that the times of restoration shall come from the presence of the Lord and He shall send Jesus Christ. Sin destroys what we love. And it rips us apart. But the Bible says you will be refreshed. You will be restored through Jesus. Jesus brings restoration. When sin has taken your joy, God restores you by sending Jesus. Now, how was this woman restored? Well, go back and look at verse 4. All right? Now, we know from last week, 
this king is not really that great of a king. But the king's talking to Gehazi, who we know from the story of Naaman, Gehazi is a really wicked guy. But you know what I love about God? He can take what the wicked are doing and he can use them just as much as anybody else. Amen. See, when the wicked are doing stuff, one reason the Bible says don't fret about them is because, yeah, they're going to do their stuff. And it's going to be bad, and you should call it bad. But what God wants you to know is that even as the wicked do their stuff, if God wants to, He can use them, He can use them to do any work of restoration that He wants. So the king's talking to Gehazi, the servant, both bad guys, saying, tell me, I pray you, all the great things that Elisha has done, all these wonderful miracles. It came to pass as he was telling the king how he'd restored a dead woman to life. Behold the woman! This woman that had lost it all, a son he'd restored to life. At that moment, she cries to the king. She shows up and cries for her house and for her land. And Gehazi said, My Lord, O king, this is the woman, this is her son, whom Elisha restored to life. And what does the king do? He restores all of it to her. You know what this text tells me? This text tells me that God will use some unusual things to bring restoration. God will use some unusual things. He uses these two wicked guys to pull it off. He uses some unusual things. You want to know the most unusual thing that God has used to bring restoration in your life? God has used His Son, Jesus. Your wickedness and your sin and the mess that you have made of your life, God has sent His Son to restore and to refresh and to make you new. In Joel 2, 25 and 26, God, God's Word records a promise to Israel. But it has meaning for us as well. God promised Israel, I will restore to you the years that the locusts have eaten. It gets better, right? The locusts, what they've destroyed, that's bad enough. God said, I'll restore to you the years that the locusts have eaten and the canker worm. It gets even better there in Joel. He says, I will restore to you the years that the locusts have eaten and the canker worm and the caterpillar. But it gets even better in Joel. God's Word says, I will restore to you the years that the locusts have eaten and that the canker worm and the caterpillar and the palmer worm. He basically says, all that has been destroyed by these things I will restore every bit of it. Verse 26, And you shall eat in plenty and be satisfied. And praise the name of the Lord your God that has dwelt wondrously with you. Has your life been destroyed by drugs and alcohol? God can restore your joy. Has your life been destroyed by a marriage or a relationship that fell apart? God will restore. Has your life been destroyed by the things that your boss has said to you at work? Has your life been uh, destroyed by ways in which you have been hurt? God's Word says, I've seen what the locust did. I've seen the caterpillar. I've seen the palmer worm. I've seen all of it and I will restore it all. And I want you to know that God will restore and renew you as well. Every last bit of it. Why does He do this? So that you will praise the name of the Lord your God that has dwelt wondrously with you. Now can we get slightly Pentecostal for a minute? If God has done some restoration in your life, say amen. Some of you have been through some things. And what God has done, it's amazing to see. But don't you forget, there were moments you were in that time of withdrawal. 
and you were in that time of pain, and you were in that time of hurt. But our God who takes us through seasons of withdrawal and seasons of asking and activity, He is a God that has promised that He will restore joy to His people. You need restoration today. Jesus gives that joy. And He has promised, some of you are hurting so deeply today, and you say, how will my joy ever be restored? Let me tell you, Jesus will begin this restoration of joy. And He has promised when you see Him face to face in heaven, He will wipe away the tears and the joy will be eternal. Eternal. What's eaten away at your life? What has destroyed your joy? You might go through seasons of waiting. You will go through seasons of waiting. You might be in a time of asking and activity. But all of us are to look to Jesus and the restoration that He brings. These are the stages of faith. It all begins with trusting Christ who will restore all things. What is it in your life like this woman? What is it that you need to name and ask of God? What is it that you need to cry out to that king? She cried out to an earthly king. What is it that you need to cry out to the king of kings today and ask him for? To seek in your life. You need to be saved. You need to ask for that. You need to ask for this restoration. The Bible says that comes through confessing your sin and believing in Jesus Christ, God's Son. My friend, Jesus wants to restore you today. Just like God wanted to restore this humanite woman. And so He gave a word to the prophet, God wants to restore joy in your life. And so He has sent Jesus Christ on a cross to send that message of love to you. Would you stand with me this morning? Three stages of faith. Allow God to use this message to help you evaluate your own life and what's going on. Today, if you need to come and you need to ask, you need to pray, this area is open for you to come and others will pray with you, silently or out loud or whatever you want them to do. There are people here today that are ready to pray for you this morning. Lord, I ask that You would use this Word, that You would use this time. Lord, thank You for this wonderful uh, humanite woman that we've now seen twice. This woman that has shown up twice, who has shown us the ups and downs of the life of faith. Lord, I pray today that we wouldn't look to be made new through temporal things. Lord, help us to look to Jesus and the eternal. Lord, I ask this in His name today. Amen. But the Cecil, what number?